0: hello everybody welcome to the riff hard podcast just me today brown couldn't make it but i am excited because i got to speak to the two guitar players from what i think is one of the most inventive metal bands of the past 10 years jonas and tim from avatar now keep in mind they were on tour and so you know there's a few issues with the quality of their audio but i thought it was better to do the episode than not do the episode and it was a great conversation they're awesome guys and like i said super original guitar players and they work together as just an amazing duo i hope you enjoy this episode here goes Tim and Jonas from Avatar, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Thank for you very Alice. much.
0: Pleasure to have you guys on. I've actually been a fan of your band for quite a while, ever since I found Hail the Apocalypse. I was following Jay Rustin's mixes, actually. Heard that and was like, holy shit, this is like the best bass tone I've ever heard in my life, first of all. <laughs> and those riffs are ridiculously good.
2: Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you so Great. much. I
0: appreciate it. It's one of those things where when you hear something that stands out but also sounds that good, it sticks with me because not that many things stand out. And what I thought was interesting was that it sounded like the sound itself was like something you might have heard on a corn record or something with how heavy and raw it was, like one of the earlier ones. But the music itself was more like a combination of all kinds of interesting metal and uh, songwriting influences. And so I was just thinking uh, these guys, these guys have a very interesting musical voice and that's what brings me to the first thing I wanted to talk about. Lots of people who listen to either one of my podcasts ask, You know, on the URM podcast, they ask, how do I develop my own sound as a mixer? And uh, on Riff Hard, they're always asking, how do we develop our own identity as guitar players and songwriters? I've got my opinion on it, but I'm curious about yours because you guys have done that.
2: A lot of the sound is actually in your
1: fingers. The way you hit the strings, like you can hear some guitar players, they have a lot of personality in their playing. I think a lot of like the uh, style or the way I like to play the riffs are just a lot about like I'm very I'm self-taught, you know. I've heard Edwin Van Halen and Randy Rhodes, Angus Young, and all these great guitar players that I look up to, and I just try to make it sound like like them, but I don't know quite how to do it, so I, I just figure it out myself, and that's the way I play now.
2: Yeah. And then I guess both me and Tim. Plays really hard. Yeah, I can tell. Abuse the strings. (laughs) And I think for me, at least, it comes from, uh, well, what I'm inspired by, obviously. I got a lot of inspiration from uh, Zach Wilde. Oh, yeah. And he hits the strings so hard. And then also back in the days when we were still a demo band, there was this bunch of bands from Gothenburg playing at the like small uh, youth centers and stuff. And like, a lot of them had way too much uh, distortion and weren't really good enough at playing, so you couldn't really hear what was going on. Sounded like a bunch of noise, probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there was this band called Crematorium, uh, like Crematory, oh, yeah. but in Swedish. Uh, And they were, like, all of them were really good musicians and it always sounded so clean and good and tight when they played. So I asked uh, the guitar player, what is the trick? Just bring down the distortion as much as possible. At the time I was playing a 5150. I think I had a distortion to like 2.5 or something to get it to sound aggressive Uh, anyway i had to play like really hard but like i really like
1: how it turned out i think that's a big thing for our sound that we play super hard on the guitars and not much distortion at all you know so you really hear the dynamics of your playing like uh, when you play hard and you play loose and also we we use the Jazz 3, carbon fiber uh, with max grip pick. uh, It's a really sturdy. Sturdy, and you hear every attack that you play.
0: Man, the pick that you choose has such a profound impact on the tone. It makes a huge, huge difference. Good call on Zach Wild, because he might be the hardest playing person I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I don't understand how he doesn't. Play out of tune because with how hard he plays, it's insane. You see, I guess, beginner guitar players and not even beginners. Like, you see a lot of guitar players who try to play hard and it just sounds like an out of tune disaster. And then you hear him and it just sounds fucking amazing. So there's a way to do it.
2: Yeah. I was uh, thinking about it because you mentioned uh, Hail the Apocalypse. That album is recorded live.
1: Yeah so So a lot of songs are without click or metronome we just all just playing together in the room yeah just to Uh, nail the the right flow and the groove of that song we just we we played the song over and over again until it felt right you know the guitars are a bit more dirty
2: it's not perfect but then when we recorded uh, feathers and flesh we were recording with uh, Sylvia Masi, who is, uh, I guess you could say, a perfectionist.
1: like Yeah,
2: really. Yeah,
0: That's a good way to put it.
2: Yeah, like perfect hearing. Perfect pitch, yeah. Yeah. So, whenever we were play- recording the guitars for that album, we had to do so many retakes because we were playing too hard. And because she was that, uh, sit-
1: sitting next to us. I was like, I no, don't... tune the guitar. I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> we have to think about how <laughs> we play
2: I mean, the album sounds perfect, but I think somewhere you kind of miss out on the, like, attitude in the play.
0: That attitude, I feel like, It's very hard to capture it with the modern style of recording. Just because if you have to do something that many times over and over and over, like it's impossible to keep that mood going. And it's impossible. Also, your hands start to get tired. There's like, I feel like there's, at least in my experience, there's a window of time in every recording session where you're feeling good. Like you're feeling like you have the right energy, the right focus, the right everything but once that moment's over i mean you can still play of course it's not the same it's not the same
1: that is so true like the vibe we create during some of of, or for us most of the recordings we've done live that transcends into the music somehow like you can hear the playfulness and the love of the music and yeah and all that
2: it gives the music life recording live
0: I just got to say, that's not something that that many heavy bands should even try. (laughs) It's very few bands who can actually pull it off, because just in general, metal sounds like shit live. Like, you know, Opeth can do it, Meshuggah can do it, obviously you guys can do it. Generally, when bands try to record live, it's a fucking disaster.
1: Yeah, if you're going to record live, you have to put time and effort to it. You have to practice a lot, you have to be prepared when you come to the studio, there's no second guessing. You should have like practiced the songs so much that you're sick of them, you know? And then you know the songs like, you know, how to uh, to ride a bicycle. And uh, I think most bands don't put that time and effort into it. They, they just come in and, you know, yeah. record whatever. And
2: for many different reasons, I think nowadays a lot of bands have like if it's a five piece band they may have one guy who is mainly writing all the music and the band leader and then a lot of times i think bands coming to the studio and hear the songs for maybe the first time like okay so you're gonna play this beat and you know and then they just record it piece by piece and like Pass
1: it together, and that takes the soul away from the music. I would say, yeah, know, it's just like.
0: I would argue that it depends on the style.
1: Yeah, of
2: course.
0: Because there's some there's some bands who, their artistic vision is to have a more mechanical sound. It wouldn't sound right if they tried to record it live. So I do honestly, I do think that it comes down to what's your vision, what are you trying to do? If you're the kind of band that sounds better live and like your songs are designed to have that kind of feel and that's what you want to put across then better fucking practice as a band before you go to the studio but i i think um i think it just depends so in my opinion i really do think that it depends on the artistic vision but i think that said that the problem is if a band has a certain artistic vision but they're not good enough to pull it off. Whatever it is, if uh if they have a more mechanical vision or a more organic vision, whatever it is, you should go to the studio fucking ready to do it. Yeah. And uh and this thing that you were talking about about a lot of bands not even knowing how their songs go when they go into the studio, like I've experienced that many 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 times. And it's a, it, it's not the same thing as a band that has decided they're going to write in the studio, like a conscious decision.
2: Yeah, that's different. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's different. This is more that bands just don't prepare. And uh, that's one of the biggest frustrations, in my opinion, as a, as a producer that I've encountered is just unprepared bands, the end.
2: When we make a new record first, like when we start writing the songs, we all sit down one by one and just record all the riff IDs. And then we sit together and pick out everyone's like favorite parts yeah. as a unit. We put it together to complete songs. So everyone is part of making the music, which I also think is important because as a band, for us, it works. It sh- works yeah. yeah, you should feel like you're part of the like creating part as well. Yeah, for sure.
0: I got to say that I believe that that's true, not just in bands, like uh, in my business life. Uh, it's important for me that the people who work for my companies feel like they have a role in what we create and that their ideas actually matter and that. Their ideas actually lead to things that we actually do. I think that everything is better with collaborations. And if you want to keep relationships with people and you want to keep, uh, you know, the team together, then you need, to, you need to find a way to incorporate people's ideas. I think it's great that you guys have figured out how to do that. My question is, is this something that comes naturally for you guys or is this something that you had to learn how to do communication-wise? Is it just how you've always worked?
2: Well, at first, when it comes to writing, say I would come with a song that was finished from start to end, except for vocals, which Johannes would do. Then I remember at one point I had made a song that I was really happy about. And John had erased the drums and did it from scratch. And I remember how pissed off I got about it, (laughs) because I had my vision when I wrote the song from the start. It just felt wrong to hear something else. But then in the end, it turned out way better than it would have been. It's all about uh, allowing people to get
1: in on the writing, you know, drop your ego. (laughs) When I joined the band later on, years after that, it was just basically, hey, okay, so record some riffs and, and stuff and uh, we're going to do a new album, you know. So I just started writing all kinds of riffs I had in my head and then we all sat down and listened to it.
0: The band already worked that way when you joined. Yeah. That's pretty cool that you joined and were they were immediately letting you write. That's not super common, actually.
1: Yeah, and
2: actually so when, when team started, we were talking about it because it was right after we had made black waltz and we like finally felt like we had come up with a good way a good dynamic in the band for for how to write music that worked fine at first we were talking about keeping it as it was but later on decided that everyone should be allowed to do their
0: thing that tells me that you have a lot of trust for each other because that's also how some bands fuck everything up is uh you know like if a band is amazing with like one writer right like there's a lot of bands that have the one the one main writer and then everybody else just kind of you know it's not that they don't come up with some stuff but like let's just say there's one person that writes 90 percent of everything and then everybody else plays really well and they're a part of it but this person's vision is the reason the band is successful and is like what we all know as that band and then over time they start to become more democratic i guess and i've seen a lot of bands great bands just kind of
1: slowly yeah
0: yeah you know you know what i'm saying they just kind of it just kind of like slowly loses the greatness
1: and the sound yeah
0: yeah it's just because the the person with the vision diluted the vision but there are some bands where everybody having an equal say helps it makes a huge difference actually
2: yeah for sure and then you can uh, share the workload and like,
1: push each others yeah. i mean you know when i started i was a big fan of avatar before uh, when I was younger and I went to their shows during their songs and all that. So it was cool to sit there and imagine that the rest of these guys are probably going to play some of these riffs, you know, in the okay. beginning. And so it was fun. And speaking of Hail Apocalypse, that was a riff I, I had for a long time. Nothing serious because I thought we would never be able to play this live, you know. Now we do and it's, it's a simple riff, but at the time I did not, I did this funny joke song with the riff and the chorus and a bunch of other crazy riffs. I didn't think much of it until everyone in the band was like, hey, this is super cool, we should do something about yeah, it. Like, yeah, sure. I, I can remember before
2: when Tim also started writing stuff, we made sure he was aware, like, you're free to write, but we're gonna be really critical about yeah. what we let through if you write 10 riffs nine of them might be put in the trash yeah
0: yeah you know what's funny about that i'm not going to name any names so let's just say that at some point in my past in a band i was in that was uh active that's as far as i'll go i was the dude that wrote like 85 percent of everything but i was used to when you write that much that i'd say 60% or 70% of everything I wrote got put in the trash, which is fine. It was no problem. But with the amount that I was writing, it didn't bother me at all. Because, you know, if you write, if you write like something like 30 songs for an album, you should expect that 20 of them are going to go in the trash, right? So I just expected that. However, there's somebody else who never wrote shit. They wrote like three or four riffs per year. And so, you know, like still, I feel like the same numbers apply. For sure, yeah. If you write four riffs a year, you should expect three of them to be put in the trash. If you write 400 riffs a year, well, then you're going to have a lot more that get kept, but still a lot in the trash. But when you only write a few riffs or a few things, you're going to be a lot more emotionally tied to them. They're going to matter that much more. It becomes a lot harder to separate the ego i think i think the more you do it the more you write the less every individual thing you write matters until it becomes something real like a song
2: that you actually finish definitely i guess that was the case uh with that song i told you about before where john went in and mm. changed uh, the drums like at that time i guess i was 16 so i hadn't really written that many songs at the time so every song that i wrote had a emotional connection for me but then once you start like really start pouring out ideas and riffs and start working with it constantly you drop that emotional connection in a good way, I would say. Because with some riffs, you're still going to have that feeling. And then you just have to keep fighting for them.
0: Yeah. The feeling of this is going to crush me if it doesn't get used goes away, you know, to a degree. It's like almost like a contradiction to think that the emotional connection to what you're writing goes away. But at the same time... You're writing stuff that has an emotional impact that actually comes from a real place and matters. It's like this weird contradiction, but it's totally true. The more you write, the less it matters if every individual thing you create happens. And this is actually something I've noticed uh, where a lot of uh, local bands and students and stuff uh, kind of fuck up is they don't. Right enough. Like, I've uh, I've noticed that, like, I remember, like, back when my band was, like, a local band, like, in 2003, there was this other band, a local band, who had been around already for, like, eight years, and they had these eight songs that they played, oh, and, uh, <laughs> okay, then we got signed, the years went by, and then my band broke up in, like, 2010, and then years after that, I, uh, like... I went and I talked to someone who was in that other band and uh, they were still working on those eight songs. Oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, but you guys had those songs before we like when we were a local band, you guys already had been around forever with those eight songs. And so, and I've noticed that with a lot of people like they want to perfect like the first few things they come up with and they never move forward. And I think, part of what helps people get better at writing is to just keep writing more and more and more yeah,
1: and more. Exactly. Yeah. And you learn more and you get more inspired. And, you know, the more you live and tour and listen to other music, that's going to shape you eventually to, you know, the musician that you will be at the time or now.
2: <laughs> like I, I remember when I was younger writing music, how I could get like, dips sometimes and
0: yeah writer's block or just like less inspiration basically
2: yeah but only because i somehow felt like you had a certain amount of ideas and once you were done making songs out of those you you were out like <laughs> and then there would be no more songs
0: it's a scary feeling.
2: Yeah, but the more you write, the more you realize that it doesn't work that way.
1: Now, uh when we write so much stuff that we do, we have riffs that I can't, you know, like someone plays something for it from a year ago. I can't remember writing the riff. So you get like very distant to everything you write. And then this emotional attachment to the songs develop in a different way now, you know, like Back in the, like for years ago, you can let's say, like, write this song or this riff, and you felt like this is the best thing I've ever written but now as soon as everyone get in there and put their touch on it and it grows and you cannot feel like oh my god this song is turning out to be really good and you know it's awesome
0: becomes something different than you even imagined
1: yeah I really like that process yeah same it takes time and you work on some music for a while and you it ends up nothing like it was in the beginning you know and it's cool to see that Transformation.
0: It's funny what you said about not remembering things because you create so much. I remember there had a, become a point where I had mixed so many records that there was this one time we're loading in at a club and something was playing on the PA and just sounded so familiar. And it's just like, what is this? Like, how do I know this? And it's just like, it was driving me nuts. Like it just kept hearing this song. Eventually a week later, I realized that I recorded it and mixed it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that sort of same thing happens. I mean, of course, you're going to remember some of the stuff that you write, but like if you write enough and you collaborate enough, at some point, it stops being... It it kind of stops mattering almost and becomes hard to remember exactly what happened.
2: Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Another thing I was uh, thinking about for a lot of bands, money is an issue when it comes to writing. Yes. Some person wants to earn more money than others, so he wants to be the guy who has the rights to the songs and all that stuff. Very early on, we decided to split everything five ways, just to, to get away from that pride. It's like back in the days when we hadn't been writing together in this way for for a very long time you know after releasing a song and if someone liked it you would still be like oh yeah i wrote this riff but as it is now like when a song is released it's been through so many stages so a lot of times you don't even remember who wrote which part it doesn't even matter no exactly it's all for the greater good
0: yeah because it's not about the individual. I mean, nobody cares when they're listening to a song. They're not thinking about, well, who wrote those two chords in the chorus and that palm mute right there. That's a that was that person's idea. <laughs> yeah. no, nobody cares. They just enjoy the song or they don't enjoy the song.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: I think that what you were saying about having the drummer completely (laughs) erase your part that's a great lesson to have learned at 16 for sure yeah it's it's really good to learn those lessons as young as possible because if you learn it for the first time when you're 32 that's rough
2: yeah and like one part that is difficult to learn is to be critical towards other people as well because it's really easy to criticize yourself like, if your band member comes with a riff, which he is really hyped about, like, oh, you gotta hear this new riff I wrote, it's so fucking good. And yeah. then you hear it and you're like, <laughs> but this is not very good. <laughs> it's kind of difficult to be straightforward and actually say it. You know, it... there's no e- easy way to say it without. No, and you don't wanna be. A... Tusky. Yeah, you don't want to be a dick. <laughs> but sometimes you you have to be be honest. Yeah.
0: I think good communication is one of the most important things that keeps, a ba- well, really anything, but a band together. On this podcast, it's interesting because I've talked to so many people and so many bands, and the ones who have been around for a long time and have been very successful with it, they all say the same thing that they figured out how to just be honest with each other and communicate honestly, even when it's uncomfortable. They just, they have to, you can't not do it about anything. If it's business or writing or whatever, you have to be willing to, and know how to talk to the people you're working with. But you know, there's a way to tell somebody that something's not good without being a dick.
2: Yeah, of course. (laughs) It's hard though. Like it's having a relationship more or less.
0: Yeah, what I find that works is to keep it not personal.
2: Yeah.
0: Number one, keep it not personal. If I'm turning down somebody's idea with anything, but then not not just that, make it clear that they can also do the same to me. Goes both ways, but it's still hard to do. Yeah. Let's talk about guitar tone and technique a little bit more. Yeah. So I completely agree with what you said about the low gain and how it really is in the hands and i've noticed that the best guitar tones heavy guitar tones that i've heard are lower gain than you would expect but the person plays in such a way that it creates it creates this uh this tone that's just uh that's just monstrous and so my question about that is how much do you still practice like just practice your picking practice your rhythm guitar like practice just being able to do that? Or is that just like writing is the practice, playing live is the practice?
1: But for me, I practice every day and it's not much, you know, scale or like technique sometimes, but it's it, it mostly just playing, having fun and, and still being in shape, especially before we tour or record an album or anything like that. I play a lot and practice Same, yeah. the songs and the solos. And Same. you do more with metronomes and like 10 steppers and going slow in a tempo, playing it and then just go faster and faster every time till you reach full tempo. Just so you know, like, because w- when you play the songs or solos in a slower tempo, you learn where to put your fingers and you don't need to, to overthink it. So, you know, it's like you, you make your. Uh body remember what to play yeah so it's much more, more easier to play cleaner or I you say more precise yeah if you practice like that for me like right now being on tour i
2: practice every day because of course you want to be in good shape and yeah. want to do as good shots as possible the better you can play, the more you can relax while playing. So what does your
0: practice consist of when you're on tour?
2: I usually warm up by doing uh, some hammer-on pull-off, pull-off exercises yeah. just to get warm. And then I usually like, I play chromatic stuff, so I use all my fingers. And then playing uh, the solos
1: yeah. like, over and over again. That, that's good practice. Yeah. I do a lot of like string skipping spider stuff just to get my fingers in in control so they're they're not sloppy or anything like that. Just to, you know, wake wake them a little bit and fool around, play little solos, little songs.
0: So so basically you get your coordination good, like get the two hands coordinated and then just work on stuff that you're actually doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like right now I'm practicing out a lot to get uh, my hands synced mm. like when you play really fast picking and, and mm. all that it's like you can do it but it sounds sloppy if you don't really or sink sit it down and yeah. it takes time
0: so like when you're working on a solo do you practice it start to finish or do you find like this one spot fucks me up every time we're gonna work on that spot
1: oh yeah yeah so you just play that over and over and over again until you feel like it's it's there, you know. There are some, some quite difficult solos and songs we do, so it's nice to be alert and in shape and good endurance because yeah, like, sure. oh, I hate when that happens. When I haven't played enough one day and we go on stage, I feel it immediately, like my fingers get tired. Like, oh no, you know, I should have practiced a little more One thing that I realized while recording
2: the last album, I think as a guitar player, you tend to just sit down and put a lot of time into practicing the fast stuff. So you forget about the bends and all that stuff, which is uh, a lot of times in a solo. I think those are the most important tones is like that's where you can hear like, personality, the, the, yeah, and, personality yeah, personality and feeling like how we bend the string
0: i completely agree and that's actually something that a lot of guitar players ignore
1: yeah. yeah you know because you can tell by one guitar player just to hang on a note for a while and you know like it's really up to the person it's so much personality into it for instance what i do when i like to just squeal or or, or anything it's, it's a it's a kind of way for me to sing. you know I have we all have these inner melodies within ourselves I think that I can take out on on a guitar that I can't do on any other instrument. So, like you,
2: you see a lot of great shredders online and stuff like play super fast and super clean and everything. as soon as they take a long note, it's like okay. He can't play slow.
0: <laughs> I feel like that's one of the things that has gotten lost a little bit not every not not completely because there are some amazing people out there like Brandon Ellis from Black Dahlia for instance has amazing bands in vibrato just ridiculous but uh but I do think that that aspect has gotten I guess ignored a lot more in modern days and I do think that a lot of it has to do with you know, people just try to do the sexy stuff. Yeah, they, uh, sure. yeah. They they're attracted to the thing that's the flashiest, that's the most impressive, I guess. Looking, but no matter how fast you're playing and how impressive it is, if you end a solo like you said on a bend or something, and it's out of tune or the vibrato sounds like uh, sounds like a beginner or something, you just ruined it.
1: Yeah, basically, basically. I, I think you just ruined it yeah in the mount Stein, he has the best you know Holy you can just shit. Bend yeah. and you just hit the note perfectly you know like <laughs> yeah, his vibrato is perfect oh yeah yeah it's ridiculous a lot of aggressive yeah. wide like sack wild yeah those, you know, i was just gonna say those, i love those vibratos.
2: i think a lot of times you can just hear a guitar player Like, play one note, and you can hear if it's a good guitar player.
0: Yeah, I completely
2: agree with you. Now,
0: what about practicing
2: for the stage?
0: Because, you know, it's very different to be playing sitting down and then playing on stage, moving around at a metal show. Yeah.
2: Like, before this tour, like, I got really kind of stressed up because we hadn't played a live show for a year and a half yeah the best way to prepare
1: then is just keep practicing while standing yeah while standing up do play the songs the solos everything but because eventually you will get into it the first time you stand up with it after a long time you're sitting around play it feels weird it doesn't because you're not used to have your and like this and, and all that, you know. But uh, it takes a few shows. Then uh, then we're in 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 the right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Same like we were rehearsing, obviously.
2: But then, like when we weren't rehearsing, I would stand at home and I would have the like the set list in Logic, and just play through it once yeah. every day. So
0: you pr- so practice in a way that simulates as close as possible yeah. to what yeah, exactly. you're going to do in real life.
1: We yeah. even recorded the rehearsals when we rehearsed the set list. So we had a Logic file. We got it back home, like everyone, and we could just open it and mute our channel and yeah,
2: play along and or, play along with or, the
1: ourselves, you know. Yeah, or go in and
2: like solo in your own channel to hear which parts you needed more practice for. Yeah.
0: That's great. And how long did you rehearse for
2: before this tour? A couple of weeks in June.
1: Yeah. Right? And like, then there was vacations and then we have to fly everything over to the states. So but So uh, we did like uh, one, we rehearsed quite a lot. Yeah, like a month uh, in the
2: beginning of the summer and then I think we had two weeks okay, uh, in yeah. August. The work ethic behind the preparation
0: sounds like you do it both for the studio and both for live, but it just sounds to me like, uh, you guys are all about being prepared. Yeah. Yeah. We hate not being
2: prepared. Like (laughs) like, there is no shortcuts. No.
0: It's interesting because, you know, you hear about a lot of bands that don't even really rehearse before a tour or they get together for like one day, you know, and then go on tour, which is fucking insane and would give me a panic
2: attack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, when, same. like now we had such a long break, but otherwise, when we, before uh, the oh, pandemic, yeah. when we were still touring, a lot of times we wouldn't rehearse for a tour because we, we played so much. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like if you have been away for a month, playing shows every night, now you go back home and you're at home for. Then it's probably good to not play together for the week. Uh,
0: I think, yeah. Get some rest.
2: Get your breath.
0: Yeah. I do think there's a huge difference between going on tour, taking one or two weeks off, then going back on tour. Something interesting that I've always thought about, this relates to recording, but when you're touring, tell me if you've noticed this, you get to a point with your ability to play the songs that's so much better than when you made the album, yes. it's, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of sad that like uh, that you can't just play the album on tour and then go record it because it would come out so much better.
1: We joke around about that
0: sometimes,
1: you know, yeah, like yeah, like, we should have recorded that song or the song now when we, you know, when we played so much better. Yeah, ten years later. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a bummer. You just can't do that. It's interesting though because comedians kind of do that so when a comedian is working on like their netflix special or something they'll spend a year doing these shows where they're like uh i forget what they're called i think they're called like uh crowd work and and like people will have to sign ndas or not bring their cell phones in and they'll just work on their set and like see what works what doesn't and then they'll take like a whole year on tour working this out and then do the netflix special Imagine if you could do that as a band.
2: Yeah, it yeah. would we'll be amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's why though, when, you know, the question comes up of how do you become a good live band? I really think that the answer is just play
1: live. Yeah. Play live yeah. a lot, yeah. We usually do like around over 100 shows a year. Yeah,
2: like 120.
1: Also, you you guys have played live a lot, like in your years too. And- So did i with my bands i had previously in in gothenburg it was just the shows happening all the time it's
2: like as an upcoming band i think if you are offered to play a show you should do it yeah like even before we started getting paid for playing live we probably did a couple of hundred shows wow that's
0: a lot of shows for an unsigned band
2: yeah that's how you gotta do it play live play
1: live play live yeah yeah
0: Yeah, i just don't think there's a way to get better at it without doing it
1: and then also you can do like live rehearsals when you're in the rehearsal room and shirts off and start headbanging
0: (laughs) but the adrenaline's not there no
1: no no. that's something you can't simulate no and the same
2: just getting to that stage where you feel comfortable Being on stage in front of a lot of people and just being able to relax while being up there.
0: There's a huge mental component to it.
2: I remember the first show that I did. I was playing keyboards in a band. And before the show, my hands were like, oh, I'm not going to be able to play. I'm shaking too much. (laughs) Oh my God. But it was a good kick.
0: Did the shaking stop the moment? You started playing?
2: Yeah, more or less.
0: Do you still get any sort of, I don't want to say stage fright, but um, nerves?
2: Yeah, for the first show we did on this tour, definitely. Oh, yeah, I was shaking. Uh, Yeah, I was really nervous. I think it's a good thing because it uh, it means that you care. Yes, absolutely.
0: When's the last time you got that nervous?
2: Uh, On this tour.
1: Yeah, for the first show on this tour, but
0: no, but I mean before that, before that must have been a long time ago.
1: Yeah, it's uh, first time I was on stage. I turned like all red and uh, didn't want to look up. When you know I was super stage fright in the the beginning, but now it feels weirder to be on stage without a guitar. As soon as I get a guitar on, on me, I it feels comfortable. You know,
2: for me the times I get most nervous now is like when you have recorded a new album and mm. then bring it out on the road. Yeah. Because then we always have new stage clothes yeah. and, All new, and new, 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 new songs to play live and new uh, stage set Yeah. And you, we tend to do some, uh, theatrical parts as well, like for, our previous album Avatar Country, oh. we had uh, like for the first song, my entrance since <laughs> since I was the king, I would come up on sitting on a throne yeah. and coming up behind the drums, and then the first song is just solos. Like, yeah, seven minutes and it's like eleven guitar solos or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> and I like I remember the first show we did. We got in the day before everything was a mess. So we didn't have the time to rehearse like we wanted to. So the first time we actually did everything properly was during the show. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds nerve wracking. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it was also
1: 1800 people yeah that was a lot of people quite for a show quite big show and you know it was new songs new clothes new stage uh, new like because you ha- you have 18. your s- some points on the set where you're supposed to stand on your X and you're supposed to be up here on that song and so there's a lot of things going on in your mind like except for trying to play as good as possible and look as cool as possible. You have to think about being where, when, and, and all. And the first show, that's all, feels like it's a lot. So you're super nervous that you're going to fuck up or or do any mistakes or anything like that. But
0: It makes sense why you guys practice the instruments the way you do before a tour. It's like, it sounds like the idea is to
2: make the playing a non-factor.
1: Yeah, yeah. and just to focus on performing. Performance.
2: So. Then another thing that we usually do, like when you're on the road and you have played the same setlist every night for a couple of weeks, you start relaxing. And at that state, we usually switch around the setlist yeah, just to keep guess. on our toes. So. Yeah,
0: take the relaxation away.
1: Yeah. yeah,
2: that's
0: actually a great philosophy towards life in general is uh, don't let yourself get comfortable. The moment you get comfortable is when you start going backwards. I think uh, it's both like, you know, with exercise or with getting better at guitar or, you know, growing a company or like really anything. The moment you start to get comfortable, you start to kind of get complacent. And once you get complacent, the next step is you get lazy. After that it's all shit. (laughs) Everything falls apart. Finding ways to keep challenging yourself is what keeps you getting better.
1: Yeah.
2: And it motivates you too. When you have to keep working to move forward. So just out of curiosity, when you're home,
0: you're not practicing for a tour. Maybe you're not necessarily writing an album at that point in time, but you know you're still musicians what are the kinds of things that you focus on in order to keep on moving forward as a musician
2: i think as a musician one thing that is important when it comes to practice it's like of course you have to practice technique and all that stuff but i think it's really important to just play and enjoy playing yeah so it's funny you say
0: that because uh, I've done a few podcasts this week, different genres. Like I was talking to Stefan from Obscura yesterday, which is absolutely different from what you guys do. And uh, and he was saying that um, every every time he practices, he builds in a certain amount of time where he's just doing whatever he wants because he needs to keep enjoying it. And it's like regardless of regardless of what you do it doesn't matter how technical or not technical you have to keep enjoying it
1: i think yeah that's yeah. why we started with this because of yeah. the the love and enjoyment and fascination with, with music you know the passion and the passion and I, I think it's the same uh, when writing music
2: it's like writer's block comes when you are trying to make something special um uh, you know like when, trying to something. Yeah, like oh, I have to write a song that is like this mm. instead of just sitting down and letting the ideas flow just come natural. Yeah, I think that's better like just uh, sit down and let the ideas that come to you uh, come and don't try to force anything.
0: You know, it's interesting cuz you hear about the a lot of people's greatest songs being something that just came, uh, yeah, came to them. Yeah, like lightning strike, like it just happened quickly. They wrote it in like a day or 2 hours or it just happened, not like not something that they tried to they tried to create some hit or some, you know, legendary song. It just it just happened. I think that part of that, too, is to write even when you're not inspired and to practice when you're not inspired. I mean, the thing is about writing and playing is that not every day is going to be good. Like, some days are going to suck. Some of the s- shit you write is going to be fucking awful. Yeah. And then some days you're just going to play like shit. should do it anyways, in my opinion, and just keep doing it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you keep doing it, you're going to have less and less bad days. Same when it comes to playing back in the days uh, when rehearsing. I remember I could have bad days when everything I was playing just sounded like shit and then like ten years later, you realize that I actually don't have those days anymore
0: or maybe once in a blue moon or something
2: like even if you're having a bad day
1: it still sounds good still not that bad yeah i've been thinking about that too like some some of the hit songs of the world and have been writing yeah just uh, the shortest amount of times but also some of the greatest songs in the world have, have taken a long time to yes. write as well so there's not no right or wrong there
0: what you just said makes me think of something George Harrison said. I'm paraphrasing. there was something along the lines of you hear about like you know Paul and John writing some of their best songs in a dream, or like in one night, but like for him, and you know George wrote some of their best songs too, uh less, but still he wrote some amazing songs, and he said that for him it was like building something piece by piece meticulously and it took a long time like it took a lot of work for him and you know some of his songs are some of the greatest songs ever so i agree with you that there's there's no rule to how it works at all but the thing they have in common is that they still just kept writing
1: yeah, and
2: yeah. um, John and Paul, they have written so many songs, which is probably
0: part of why they were so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think George wrote less songs, It took him a little longer. But I also think different. You know, different people have different types of creativity. Well, I don't. Well, you know, I've never seen you guys write, so I, I don't know. Maybe one of you or both of you are like this. But have you ever met the type of musician who? It's not that they don't have to work at it when they get creative like they don't have to try to come up with good shit it just happens it's just these good ideas just come into their head and it's just like holy shit dude what are you where are you downloading this information from because it's like they're not even trying they're not trying to do something great it just like it just comes out
1: yeah uh Johannes, our, our singer, is really good at that. One. He does that? Yeah, I'll say that. I'll say, but I think the, the thing
2: is that he allows all the ideas to come. I'm sure
1: that he does a lot, which we will never hear, Yeah, probably. But uh, yeah, yeah, but that that's so cool with people like that. Uh, I've not experienced it firsthand like that, when someone just comes in and da-da-da but I know about people and her stories and it's so fascinating. It's so
0: cool. I've seen it a few times with some people I've worked with or just people I've worked with, have worked with them, but I've seen it happen in front of me a few times. It's funny because I hear a lot of people make with this theory that talent doesn't exist. And, uh, my thoughts are, you've just never seen it. If you think it doesn't exist because I've seen these people that, uh, yeah, they work hard, but everybody works hard in music. Like any professional musician or producer works hard. Like that's like if they're good, they work hard, but there's some people, man, who just it's like they're tapped into something that Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's but, it's weird. Like they got beamed yeah. up to the spaceship or or something. Yeah, I've seen it happen and it's fucking crazy. But even they don't always write something good. And I guess that's kind of the point is even these super talented, I call them freaks. So there's like some guitar players too that are fucking unbelievable and they practice. Of course they practice, but I know people who practice just as much who aren't ever going to be as good as these guys. Like they're just better. It's just some people who are like that just is what it is. It's interesting.
2: I think when it comes to writing, it has a lot to do with your state of mind as well. Yes. It's like when we were working with Sylvia. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if we had a song that wasn't uh, completely finished and, uh, you know, when you've been working with a song and you get stuck, you tend to see problems for us she turned it around instead of seeing a problem she made us see possibilities could you talk a little bit
0: more about that because that's very interesting the reason I find that very interesting is because that idea is something I use in real life like when I have like a business setback I always look at Ways to turn it into an advantage or an opportunity like uh, with running a business, there's always setbacks and there's always places you get stuck. And it's just my philosophy to try to, well, let's see what, how we can turn this into actually something good. But when it comes to writing music, I always had a hard time with that. Once you get stuck, it's like, I mean, sometimes it get unstuck, but like it's harder with something creative like because look with like business and stuff you can just write out ideas like you can write out a strategy like you can write out tactics like you can write out options but like with music it's not really the same you can't like brainstorm like strategies
2: not in the same way i guess you could brainstorm ideas Uh, it applies to everything in life really like if if one door closes, another one opens. But how did that work when you were
0: writing? I'm interested in how she like helped you see opportunities when you got stuck writing. It's fascinating.
2: Like letting go of all the rules that applies to music, because there
1: really isn't any rules that you have to obey to make music. We have a song with bunch of good Parts in it, and it was way way too long. But we liked all the parts, and it was just like we felt like "Hmm, something doesn't feel right. It's it's too much, or you know, like. And uh, we sat with her in the in the studio room where the drums were set up and everything. Yeah, she just had a little piano block, and I I don't remember exactly what happened, but we just like as you said, just like stop thinking about like what we thought about the song at, at the time and just stripped it down and just try, like, think of the song in a totally different way. And then we, we just took what felt natural at the time, of a few parts of the song, and it took just a few minutes, and the song was done, and it was a new song, and we were super stoked about it uh, for this one. Yeah. yeah. So rather
0: than trying to force it into being something
1: yeah
2: and it's like it was a lot about uh, enjoying it
1: like bringing out the fun in in creating yeah thinking about like oh can we do this in another tempo or just you know because we were so stuck in how the demo song or what i should should call it were sounded like and we tried to play it like it was written and just just do a U-turn and approach parts and the riffs in a different way that, that you haven't seen before. And Silvia uh, was really good at just come up with new ideas for how songs should sound, or if we get stuck in a particular song, or but then music
2: it's different because every song is different. It's like you can't treat every song the same and expect
0: there's definitely not a formula
1: you know no it just you need know, to find a thread in the song sometimes it's it's difficult when we did
2: our raven wire oh, yeah. we had a really cool riff we had a cool chorus and a twin lead then we didn't really know what to do with the song so we just started jamming and playing around with the ideas we had she told John, go in and play some uh, yeah. jazz uh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so he did. And for a while. Yeah. yeah, and she cut it together and told us, like, yeah, go write some guitars for that part now. Yeah. Grab a beer and write some guitars. So we
1: did, we had, we had this drum, John just jazzing out, like, improvising session, and we grabbed beer each and sat down and just wrote some cool guitar parts for the drum so it sings really cool yeah just playing yeah much. and then we showed it to sylvia and she loved it and yeah. it's now in the song it's it's a sample raven wine from feathers and flesh jazzy improvised middle section of the song it turned out really fun and cool <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it happened by just trying something completely out there
1: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i had no idea how we were gonna turn out we just did it and yeah.
0: Fun. Speaking of that, you know, in heavy music, there's so much pressure to stick within uh, certain rules. It seems to me like even though you guys have always had songs, like, you know, songs with a structure, choruses, stuff that you would identify oftentimes as like traditional song structures. Still, it seems like the heavy music rules, you guys don't give a fuck about that, which is cool.
1: Not um, really. You can have a chorus in in the first, like uh, you can start a song with a chorus or you can do pretty much what you want. If you follow
2: the rules all the time, you paint yourself into a corner, you cut away your options. Yeah, you kind of
0: date yourself. Yeah. It's interesting though, because I think that lots of times people who are writing music don't realize that they are pressuring themselves to stick within the rules like they just feel like the song has to have this structure like we have to go back to the chorus like we have to have this type of part here we can't have it go past a certain amount of time you know things like that i don't think that they mean to necessarily put that pressure on themselves but they do yeah, unknowingly. I feel like uh, there has to be some pressure you guys put on yourselves. I'm just wondering what is it categorized it under? Is it just, let's make the best song possible let's be as badass as possible live? But what is the goal with what you guys do?
1: I think to, you know, do better every time and try something different. And, Same uh, when it comes to writing. Like for us... It's important that
2: the music and the riffs are memorable.
1: Yeah, the riff is king, you know,
2: exactly. always. I'm not very much for uh, what you would call butt rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad, but it's really not my cup of tea because for me, it goes into
1: one ear and the other you know like we love make it interesting for ourselves too and try try different stuff Whenever we never want to copy ourselves uh you hear a lot of fans say, yeah they should go back to that sound on that album and yeah but we yeah, have done it before so album. go back and listen to that album then
0: yeah it already exists
1: yeah exactly
0: I've always thought that that's funny because uh when uh it's like if a band keeps the same sound people will say they make the same album every time. But if a band changes- Solo. Yeah, you should go back to that original sound. You can't win.
1: You feel different all the time. Some albums sound the way they do because we were at a certain place in life at that time. Another big thing
2: I think is you have to write music that satisfies yourself. You can't make music that you think people will like. Because then it's not gonna be genuine,
0: yeah. And it's impossible to know what people will like, and also it's dumb because there's no way to make everybody like it, there's always somebody that hates it,
1: yeah. We're all yeah. always super like nervous before we release a new song or album or anything like that because we never know. We, we love it always, but we never know what the reaction might be. You know? yeah, it's Like I would
2: rather make an album that I love and the rest of the world hates than the other way around. Because if I made an album that I didn't like, I wouldn't be able to stand for it.
0: That makes perfect, perfect sense. Well, I think this is a good place to end the podcast. I want to uh, thank both of you. For taking the time to hang out. It's been a pleasure speaking with both of you. Likewise. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us.